So, before we get into our text this morning, I want to talk about one of the hardest things in our life. One of the hardest things that we have to do, whether we admit it or not, whether we realize it or not, is to leave behind what we know for the unknown. Leaving behind the comfortable things that we've always known for the uncomfortable, uncertain things. Leave behind the predictable for the unpredictable. And this is a challenge of the Christian life, right? Because for most of us, what we've known our entire lives, or what the world tells us for most of our lives, is what we need to turn our back on. And there is this constant struggle in the life of a believer. Leaving behind people, places, and things that we find our comfort in, that we make our identity that lead us away from Christ. I know you've had that struggle like I have that says, I know what to expect now. These are the way things are. I can predict this. Leave it just as it is. Don't change anything because this I can account for. The unknown, something I can't control. For many of us, it's terrifying. I think that's why uh, shows like Hoarders and American Pickers exist because you see all of these, these people who are so holding on to things that they find their comfort and familiarity, their entire lives are wrapped up in memories and possessions. People don't want to let go of what they know, even if it seems ridiculous. What person in their right mind collects old beer cans or old tires with holes in them or creates statues out of trash? I don't understand it. It, but it's like a train wreck. I can't stop watching. If you've ever been in the house of a hoarder, anyone? You've never been in the house of a, a hoarder and just see garbage and things piled up and you wonder, how, how do you do it? Or like the ants and the roaches have, have taken over. They've, they've unionized and like they're working like, like clockwork to, to, to move things into different corners. It seems crazy. Like how, wh- why couldn't you just get rid of these things? But have you ever talked to those people? There's so much fear and uncertainty. And the only hope they have is in their things. And there's this fear that if I let anything go, I'll miss it and I won't be complete. Even if it's harmful for us, even if it's unsanitary, even if it's unhealthy. A lot of you guys know that uh, I did jail ministry for a couple years. And um, the process in jail ministry is we'd go in and we'd do a worship service with them. Uh, We'd have another opportunity to sit down in small groups and kind of work through concepts with them uh, in in, in small groups. And it was sit in a circle of guys in jumpsuits with all the regret in the world and work through spiritual concepts It's amazing. It's amazing what opportunities the Lord gave us. And so what would happen is if you connected with a guy in one of those groups and and you felt like you were getting somewhere, you could petition the jail uh, to do a separate mentoring session where they'd give you a room and you could go in and set up a time and the guard would release them and you'd have an hour to sit down and talk about whatever you wanted. So there was a gentleman who I started to develop a relationship with. Um, If any of you know anything about Orlando, he grew up in the Paramore section of Orlando. 
And in Paramore, drugs and guns and violence are a daily way of life. And his life was a picture of every stereotype of poor urban life. And at 42 years of age, the last 25 years of his life, the majority of them were spent in jail. Time and time again, he'd come out and go back in, he'd come out and go back in. We had amazing conversations. His one constant the entire time in jail was his Bible. Because when you get in, they take all your possessions. There's always a Gideon Bible. And so every time he'd get in, he'd begin to mark up his Bible again. And a year in, every page had notes and underlines and circles. He knew more scripture than most pastors I know. He put me to shame by far, chapter and verse. But there was something else. He's what you would call institutionalized. What that means is he spent so much time in an institution that that was his home. And that the outside world terrified him. He told me one time one of the saddest things I've ever heard. He's that when I am outside, when I'm on the outside, I'm anxious every day, all day. The only time I can breathe is when they put the handcuffs on me. I didn't understand it. How could this be? He's actually in there now. Uh, he got out, we set him up with a job, set him up with an apartment, transportation. It was too much for him. In the last three years, I think he's been in at least three or four more times. So hard for him to leave what was behind, behind. But he knew God's word. Where's the disconnect? The disconnect was he had it all memorized up here, but it never transferred to his life. It was not a light into his feet. It was not a lamp before his path. It was a bunch of information that sounds really good on a test, but when it came to applying it, couldn't do it. And think about him often. And I think about the picture of what it looks like to recognize that I need to leave something behind that is unhealthy, that has only ever brought me darkness and pain and imprisonment. But it's what I know. It's where I'm comfortable. The reason why God's word is so central in everything we do here is because that is my greatest concern for you. That I don't just want God's word to be head knowledge. Don't just want it to be something that you know in your head, but you set it aside after Sunday morning and it involves the rest of your life. Because even though you may not go back to a cell like like he does, your sin will keep you in handcuffs. But God's word will guide us. Step by step, day by day, if you can learn to hide it in your heart and apply it to your feet. And as you walk through life in this process that we constantly have of leaving behind the things of this world and enduring in the things of Christ, the Holy Spirit, through God's word, is meant to encourage and guide and teach us and remind us of everything that Christ said. Because faith is going through life, walking It's just motion, 
We go through life day by day. We walk by faith. We, we know this. We say this to each other. But what does that look like? What is the heart behind someone who walks by faith? Who doesn't just see biblical truths. Something that sounds good for everybody else, but actually applies them. It's like having the medicine you need and not putting it where it is needed. But there's this tension throughout all of our lives that we walk by our senses. We see with with natural eyes. We can't help but be scared. But Scripture teaches us to see with spiritual eyes. See what is yet to come. One of my favorite passages, which should be familiar to all of you, if we look at it in context, and it's going to be up on the screen, 2 Corinthians 5, 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So we are always of good courage. This is Christian courage. This is not just fake positivity. I can tell you Christians who walk around with smiles all the time and everything's just great because we feel like that's what we need to put on. But inside we are terrified and we're selfish and we're driven by sin. That's not godly courage. Courage. You know that we believe that God sent his son and that changes everything. Courage that says, I am away from the Lord, but this is not my home. Courage that says, I will walk by faith and not by sight. My life is not dictated by only what I can see and smell and touch and hear. But my life is driven by my faith in the one who I have faith in. So this morning we're going to talk about two things that marked the life of Moses and marked the life of every believer. Leaving the world behind and enduring for the sake of the Lord. Leaving behind and enduring. And those things are difficult. It's another version of repent and believe. We turn from the things of this world and believe and endure in our belief. So open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. I'm going to read this whole passage about Moses. We're going to go verse 23 to 28. But our verse this morning is verse 27. One of those verses that doesn't seem like there's, that there's much there, but it has a lot to teach us. Hebrews eleven twenty three says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Let's pray. God, you called Moses to be a prophet among his people. You called Moses to walk trusting you. 
to leave behind Egypt, to endure for your sake, to be an example for us, to leave behind the world and endure for the sake of the cross. Lord, I just pray that this message this morning, that this text would come alive and it would encourage us to be people of faith, who walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. I studied all week, and there's a lot of debate about this passage because Moses left Egypt two times. First time, it didn't really seem like he left by faith. Exodus 2 tells us that he was, a, he was scared and he fled. Is that leaving by faith? The second time when he leaves Egypt, he leaves with all of Israel in tow. He leaves victorious because the God of Israel had conquered the gods of Egypt. Which one is it? Scholars are still up in debate over this, so I'm not going to land on either one. But what I am going to do is I'm going to look at Moses' heart, the character behind someone who walks by faith. And again, Stephen, in his great sermon in, in Acts 7, gives us a better picture of this. So we're going to walk through Acts chapter 7, this account. Because Stephen takes about 20-something chapters out of Exodus and condenses it down to 10 verses. And really gets to the heart of the matter. So turn to Acts chapter 7 for me. So we're going to connect this week, last week, and we're going to... Uh, give a foreshadowing of next week. Verse 23. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling, and he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled, became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, An angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai and a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight and he drew near to look. And there came a voice from the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did dare not look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. Then Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent both as a ruler and redeemer by the hand of an angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from the brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with the fathers. 
He received living oracles to give us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt. This is a great overview of the life and the ministerial life of Moses. From being called out of the palace, called to be a prophet, called to bring his people out of Egypt. He heard God's word. He had no written scriptures like we did, but he heard the voice of the Lord. And a call from God, go to Egypt, was enough for Moses to say, after a 40-year hiatus, I will follow you, Lord. I will do what you command. God had to send a prophet. Because the hearts of the people were still attached to Egypt. So remember these details. I'm going to refer back to them as we go. I want to look at some of the aspects of of Moses' life real quick. I'm going to run through these. Think about how Moses' life is marked by walking. The Israelites are known for their walking. They're not a mobile society like us. We're known for our sitting. So sad. Think about all the times that Moses' walking was used by God. He walked out of the safety of the palace after 40 years. He walked over to where his people were being abused and killed an Egyptian. He walked out of Egypt the first time. Well, he fled. I don't know if that counts, but he did. He walked out. Maybe he ran. He walked barefooted on holy ground before the burning bush. He walked back to Egypt after 40 years. He walked before the people of Israel, giving them the words of God as a prophet to them. He walked before Pharaoh at least 13 times as a prophet. Walked into the palace of the most powerful man on earth and stood beside him, stood in front of him, with words from an invisible God. No army. Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth, declares to you. And he walked the people out of Egypt. Walked them through the Red Sea. Walked them through the wilderness for another 40 years. Moses had some tough feet. And Moses, his whole life was one of walking by faith. But his whole life also, if you notice in our passage in, in Hebrews, is marked by the tension of Egypt. His, his foil, as they would call, is Egypt. Everything in his life was driven by the evil in Egypt. This God put on a throne who called himself a God, Pharaoh, forgot all about Joseph and oppressed the people of God. And our life also is one of tension against the world because Egypt is a synonym for Babylon or for Rome. Any big city that lifts itself up as a God And shakes its fist at the God of the universe. It's a synonym for the world around us. This week when we were talking about the sermon, Deshaun asked a really good question. So just so you know, if you tell me something quote worthy, it is fair game. I will use it in a sermon. I will give you credit. So Deshaun, after last week's sermon, asked, what is my Egypt? I love that. What is it that I'm holding on to? What is it in this world that is so attractive for me that I want to turn my back on the miracles that I've seen God God do? And that is a fantastic question 
to walk away from this morning. What is Egypt in our lives? What is it that we turn back to when things get too difficult? What is it that we trust in when our invisible God seems to be invisible to us? So back in Hebrews chapter 11, Moses, by faith, left behind. Uh, This word left in in the Greek is is a little stronger. It's more like abandoned. Uh, Many translations will say forsook, which I, I like that better. That he didn't just leave Egypt, he left it behind. He abandoned it. Everything behind him. And last week we talked about him seeing the reproach of Christ greater than the, all the riches in Egypt. This week he puts his money where his mouth is. And he leaves. He leaves it behind, not once, but twice. And he left it behind, not being afraid. And this is kind of difficult to reconcile, right? Uh, because it seems like he's afraid. It seems like the first time he was, he was, he was kind of scared. And it seems like uh, this is not the strong man of faith who we want to pattern ourselves after. But isn't that the life of faith, though? This tension between fear and faith. The two are opposed to each other. They cannot coexist in the same place. And so many times, our actions are motivated by fear. Because they force us into making a decision. And Moses was initially motivated by fear. But he endured by faith. He did not remain in his fear. Because in that moment, Moses realized everything was about to change. But he didn't go back to Pharaoh and beg for forgiveness. He didn't go back and try to hold on to his life. He recognized it would be better in the wilderness with God than in comfort in Egypt. We have to recognize the same thing in our lives. That we are going to have moments of fear. We are going to have moments when we are overwhelmed by the trials of life. But our motivator must be faith. It must be in the God who made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the God who sent his son, to the God who had been faithful to his people throughout all of the ages. But let's be honest, we live here on earth. We know what it feels like to be tossed back and forth by trials. We know what it looks like to be beat up by fear in the world around us and everything seems to be closing in on us sometimes. We've all been there. Some of us, it has not been that long since we've been there. But when we walk by faith, day by day, there's something different. Sports fans, there's, there's this, this pocket that you get in There's this zone when you can wake up and say, God, I trust you. God, even though everything in front of my eyes makes no sense, I trust you. Even though all the earth seems to be crazy, but you are God over all the earth, and I trust you. There's this zone that you you get in. Wait a second, what 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 do I fear? What am I afraid of? So many of these passages, we looked at fear a couple weeks ago, but I just want to remind you what it looks like to preach the gospel to yourself. This should be up on the screen, Isaiah 12, 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is what preaching the gospel to yourself looks like. This is what reminding yourself of the gospel looks like. What does he sandwich his fear with? Salvation, salvation. 
He reminds himself first that the God of the universe is my salvation. I shall not fear. And right after I fear, I'm going to fear again. So I need to remind myself again that the God of the universe is my salvation. In Christ Jesus, the God of the universe took on flesh and came for broken sinners so that we should no longer fear the things of this earth. Isaiah, many call the gospel of the Old Testament. The more I grow, the more I appreciate Isaiah. I love that he's always bringing it back to God as the Redeemer, God as Savior. What can man do to me? Because we fear the Lord and we recognize he's our, he is our salvation. We don't fear the king. Moses did not fear the king. Because faith guides us past the, the, the snares of being motivated by what other people might think about us. What if they don't like me? What if they get angry? What are they going to say? Maybe they'll like me if I do this. Maybe they'll hate me if I do this. Who cares? But we know that's a real temptation because we all do it. Before we say things, before we do things, we're processing in our minds. What is this person going to think? And especially in our culture today, where being, where being Christian is less and less popular. We'll have to think, am I going to please God in this situation or am I going to fear the king? Am I going to fear the government? Am I going to fear the press? Am I going to fear the powers and principalities of this world who want to suppress the name of Jesus as they always have? Am I going to fear the king or am I going to walk in faith? Arthur Pink says, true faith never counts the smiles of men nor shuns their frowns. True faith never counts the smiles of men nor shuns their frowns. Moses was a prophet of God. Prophet of God is sent by God with a message from God for a particular people in a particular place. And when you're a prophet of God, only one opinion matters. He is not going by popular opinion, he is going by the opinion of the Most High. Moses was the first of many faithful Old Testament prophets, and many more are to come. And the life of a prophet is one of complete reliance on the Lord. Walking in faith, speaking and acting boldly, thus says the Lord. Leaving behind the things of this world and enduring for the sake of the glory being displayed through that prophet. This is the purpose of the whole book of Hebrews. Is this transition from the prophets who say, thus saith the Lord, the very words of God coming out of their mouth, to the very word of God coming down to earth. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. The whole purpose of this book is in verse 1. Because when Stephen said that Moses was a prophet of God, and one day God would raise up another one like him for the sake of his brothers, this is what he was looking forward to. Deuteronomy 18, 18. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. There is a transition. There is a handing over of the baton from all of the prophets of the Old Testament to the prophet. The last prophet. The very word of God made flesh. And that prophet is a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the whole person and work of Christ, the whole ministry of Christ here. God incarnate, the creator of all things, come down to make flesh. He made a propitiation for sins. He paid the price for your sins and my sins when we trust in him. And he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father in glory. All of the gospel is at the very beginning of Hebrews. And everything that comes after is based on the gospel. The writer of Hebrews is speaking to people who see Moses as their savior. Moses as their identity. He wanted to say that you look to Moses as a prophet. Trust in the prophet. Turn to chapter 3. One page over in most of your Bibles. Verse 5 and 6. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were uh, to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We endure in the Son. We endure when our hope is in Him. We leave behind the things of this world. We follow Moses as an example for faith, putting our faith in the true prophet, the son of the house that Moses served in. And we endure through faith in Him. And I want to encourage you. Because even though we believe that the, the prophetic office no longer is needed because of Christ, Every believer has a prophetic responsibility. We've been given the words of God to be proclaimed to the nations. The Holy Spirit has preserved his word and the Holy Spirit will make the proclamation of his word effective. So we don't need to fear speaking scripture to people. We don't need to fear whether we stumble over our words or not. Because it is the spirit that accomplishes the work of the word. And as believers, we have a prophetic role in our nation. I was reminded this week, someone asked me, what if every Christian in the country just shared the gospel with one person a week? Just as simple as, hey, have you ever read John's gospel? Can I read it with you? What if every Christian did that once a week? If every believer in here did that once a week to a neighbor co-worker, someone we run into. Let me tell you about Jesus. What would the church look like? What would this church look like? I, I fall short of that. I was, I was convicted that this week. Because if I truly practice what I preach and believe what we say here, then it is the Spirit that accomplishes its work, and it's not about us. We're just a vessel, an instrument. Just a question to pose to think about. But Moses, he left Egypt and he endured. And Moses' life is one of endurance. Three periods of 40 years. 40 years in the palace. 40 years in the wilderness. A few days in Egypt and then 40 years back in the wilderness. The whole time by faith. Enduring. Endurance applies in running, but it also applies in the spiritual life. Most of us have no idea what it means to endure in running. But in the spiritual life, we can see what that endurance looks like. If I can be honest with you guys, I had one of those weeks where I feel like I was chewed up and spit out. Anybody ever had one of those weeks? 
Was it this week for anyone? Uh, where, where you just feel beat up and you feel like you can't endure. You feel like everything is coming at you at, at once. Uh, my uncle, who's a mentor of mine, has been in ministry for 40 plus years. He told me pastoral ministry is like playing tennis one on ten. Where you knock the, the, the ball over and, and, and ten balls are coming back. Like they're coming at you from every direction. And sometimes it feels like that. But don't feel sorry for me. I get to do this. Do not feel sorry for me in that. I was called by the Lord God Almighty to proclaim his truth. I was called by the Lord of glory to lead his people. And you, in Christ, are called by the Lord God Almighty to be his people. You are called by the Lord of glory to be his ministers. His messengers to a dying and dark world. We get to do this. Whether it's one on ten or one on the entire world. Because our strength is not in ourselves. This is not my strength versus the strength of the world. If you walk in our house or parents, you, you know this. When you get to a moment of, of, of frustration, it's like the um, Christian version of kind of throwing a fit. It's like, Lord, give me strength. I need strength with these children. I need strength with these people who come into my job and make my life miserable. Lord, give me strength. My parents said that a lot about me. This is such a great prayer. And again, turn to Isaiah. I love this. Isaiah chapter 40. Lord, give me strength. Remember what I said earlier on. If you can learn to take God's word, not just as an intellectual proposition, but actually apply it to your life. If you can let what Isaiah says in in, uh, chapter 40, I'm going to start in verse 28. If you can let that sink into your heart, it opens a window into the Christian life. Isaiah 40 verse 28. I love this. Have you not heard? Or excuse me, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is insearchable. Everything we know starts with who is God. He is eternal. He does not grow faint. He has all understanding. Verse 29, he gives power to the faint. He doesn't grow weary. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. It's what it looks like to lean on the God of the universe, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. If your strength is in the Lord, you won't have to worry about walking by faith. You can run and not grow weary in the world because you are carried by His wings. You are trusting in His strength. You will be able to run the race that is before you. And all the world can go to hell. But your strength is in the internal God. Because our spiritual eyes see the God that is invisible like Moses did. 
Our spiritual eyes are not concerned with what our temporal eyes are consumed with. Because we believe in the invisible God, as Moses did. Moses, left behind Egypt, is not afraid of the edict of the king, because he saw the one who's invisible. We go through most of our day not thinking about the invisible. Think about Moses coming before Pharaoh, no army, the invisible God of the universe everywhere. So many times we're just consumed with our senses. We must remember the invisible God because that is crazy to the world. How can you believe in something you can't see? Anyone ever heard that? I will only believe in things that I can see. Well, you're a fool because I can't see gravity, but I believe in it. And you should too. The invisible aspects of our life are all around us. Moses was given a message by an angel. He was directed by an angel. I'm studying the the book of, of Revelation right now. And the entire book of Revelation is about this cosmic battle that we don't see. The forces of Satan warring against the Christ child. And our conquering Lord who will win physical battle on earth and a spiritual battle battle over death and sin and the invisible God is victorious we know the end of the story and Moses saw the invisible God he stood before the burning bush Moses got closest to the invisible God as, as anyone ever has on earth he saw the backside of God walking before him on Mount Sinai Moses knew the invisible God he saw an image of the invisible God disciples saw an image of the invisible God. And Peter tells us that even though we do not see him, we know him. We believe in the image of the invisible God, Christ Jesus, come to earth. This is a theme throughout all of Scripture, that we trust not in what is seen, but what is unseen. The last Scripture we're going to look at this morning before we close is in 2 Corinthians 4. So I want to give you a little uh, tool to put in your, your belt. This, this sword that we use when spiritual battles come against us. And if, when you feel beat up, when you feel torn up by the world, turn to 2 Corinthians 4. It is one of the most encouraging, empowering passages in all of Scripture. Because it speaks to the human life. It speaks to walking and being beat up and being, and being crushed. Or excuse me, and being perplexed and pushed. But what does Paul come down to at the end of 2 Corinthians 4? When all the trials of life push you from every direction. Verses 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Whatever the world throws at us is a light momentary affliction. On one side of the scale is this affliction, this pebble. And the other side of the scale is this enormous weight of glory that is with Christ for all eternity. But yet sometimes we think these scales are even, but they're not. It is a light momentary affliction. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We walk by faith, 
trust in an invisible God, a kingdom we can't see, and an inheritance we can't hold, because we are people of faith. Just remember a couple things this morning. Moses is an example in faith, not because he wasn't afraid, or, or, or he didn't stumble, but because his strength was in the Lord. A prophet of the Lord, pointing people to the Most High, declaring the words of the Most High. And our lives are marked with the constant process of leaving the things of the world behind and enduring in the faith. Because Christ left heaven behind and endured sin and flesh and temptation for us, for our sake. How could we not leave behind the things of this world and take off the old self and put on the new when Christ did that for us? Have faith in Jesus Christ. Because if you do, you will run in this marathon of life by faith and you will not grow weary. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are awesome and mighty and faithful to people who are nothing but unfaithful. Lord, help us to learn to crawl in faith so that we can walk in faith. So that through your strength, we can run in faith. We can feel the gentle brush of eagle's wings that lift us up from the persecution and the pain and the disappointment. That there is no other place where we can find strength, no other place where we can find comfort, no other place where we can find peace. It will be people who leave behind what is known of this world, what is seen in this world for the unseen things that never pass away. We pray this in the powerful, mighty name of Jesus. Amen.